All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see your uh, bright, shiny, happy faces uh, today. Uh, a couple of uh, just announcements before we begin our Bible study for today. Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, letting us, your pastors, get away for a little vacation here this last week. Uh, Pastor Grady, as he mentioned in his sermon this morning, uh, went west to the mountains with the family. And uh, my family and I headed east to the beach. We wanted to make sure we covered uh, two of the, the great things that our country has to offer. And uh, we were both, uh, as our families, able to uh, stay safe and sequester. Uh, and uh, it was just a great time. So thanks for, thanks for letting us uh, get away, uh, get there and back. Thanks, Pastor Allman, for filling in while we were gone, um, uh, visiting uh, those that needed to be visited and for helping out last Sunday while Pastor Grady was gone. So good to be back with you. We're charged up and kind of ready to go. Um, I want to speak just briefly about two things. Number one, uh, as all of you are aware, the governor um, has uh, made a new mandate that will go into effect tomorrow uh, regarding the wearing of masks uh, when you are in public with, with others. And uh, we will have a press release coming here this week uh, from the elders and the pastors here at Advent. It's really nothing new. Please wear your mask as you are able. We're going to continue to ask what we've asked you to do before. Uh, when you come up to communion, you know, you can take it off at that point. Um, obviously, there's not going to be mask police running around. If you, you know, pull your mask down to scratch your nose or something like that, you're not going to get swatted with a stick or anything like that. Um, so just be smart, be sensible, uh, use your best judgment. Um, and as far as pastors, we're going to continue to do what we've been doing it's important uh, that you see the face of your pastors as we are serving you. So we are not going to wear masks in the pulpit or in the lectern uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we're pretty far away from you. Um, and when we do get close to the communion rail, we've been putting masks on. Okay, uh, So as pastors, that's, that's a little bit of a sacramental thing in the sense that we are called to stand and serve in the stead of Christ. Um, and so uh, that's uh, uh, Viva Vox Christe, uh, the very, the living voice of Christ uh, who comes uh, through these means. Uh, and uh, so thanks be to God for that. Okay. Any questions on that? I don't think we need to really go into that. You guys are smart people uh, and we appreciate that. Regarding Bible class, uh, we're still going to hold off preparing food here. However, as you've seen done each week, uh, we've had a lady or two who has uh, made some goodies. And so, uh, ladies or gentlemen, you want to make some goodies and bring them, go ahead. We're going to refrain from, uh, you know, giving out donuts. And again, just use your best judgment. If you're uncomfortable eating some food somebody else has made, don't eat it. Uh, bring your donut in a bag or a Tupperware, whatever you want. You want to bring your own goodies, bring your own goodies. We'll continue to do coffee. Uh, we can do that uh, pretty safely and securely, okay? Uh, no other decisions yet. Uh, as of right now, Sunday school is still on. Our rally day will be uh, September Sunday, September 13th. So that's the Sunday after the Labor Day weekend. We will have some kind of policies and procedures that will be in place very similar if you've got kids that are in school or if you're a school teacher or school staff, um, pray for our teachers and our staff. This is a really, it's just, yeah. How did you say it, Mr. Votman? Um, I'm fed up and tired of this, of, of, of COVID-19, but I don't think COVID-19 is fed up and tired with me yet. So, you know, you, you kind of deal with it, but do not live in fear. Um, uh, well preached this morning, Pastor Grady. Uh, the Lord who has created heaven and earth uh, promises to provide for you, uh, so continue to trust his sustenance and his provision uh, for you as well. Okay? Any questions on any of that stuff? Okay. Now on to something a little more fun. Isn't this beautiful? This is a decommissioned church pyramid. Uh, this is what's known as a Cairo. Some of you uh, might have seen this symbol before and wondered uh, what it is. It consists of two Greek letters. So these are not English alphabet letters as you may know them. These are Greek letters. What looks like an X is the key or the chi, depending on how you learned your Greek. And the P is what's known as the rho. Okay? These are the first two letters of Christ's name in Greek, thus the Cairo. And so um, I acquired this, uh, Brady, and I forget how to say his last name. I don't want to, I'm going to butcher it. Brady, G-U-R-G-A-N-I-O-U-S. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
uh, Brady, works down at Lutheran Child and Family Services. He is the right-hand man. He's been here to Advent before. Uh, right-hand man to Sven Schumacher, who is the uh, director uh, down there at Lutheran Child and Family Services. Uh, Brady, by the way, is a, a member at uh, Zion Lutheran Church in uh, New Pal, uh, not too far away. Uh, kids go to high school uh, with my kids. And uh, um, anyway, long story short, Brady took a bunch of these decommissioned pyramids, and when he went to go visit his father, he used his father's uh, wood workshop and made them into nice little wall hangings. So um, if you are interested in a little wall hanging out of decommissioned uh, and you want to make a donation to support Lutheran Child and Family Services, shoot me an email and I will send you the link where you can contact Brady and you can look at the pictures of these. Um, obviously, it would make a great gift or if you're just looking for got a spot on your wall that you can't fill and you want a little something uh, and they're just all sorts of different designs okay so there you go Brady that's my plug for uh, Lutheran Child and Family Services and uh, that was my favorite one so he brought that by while I was gone on vacation okay any questions or other announcements that I'm missing Pastor Grady okay we both literally drove in last night so uh, we're just kind of playing catch up so uh, be patient with us okay uh, Mr. Head Elder, Mr. President, anything else you want to add for now? You guys are so easy. I like it. Yeah, communication will come out this week. And again, there's really really nothing new, just kind of rehashing what we've done and maybe a few little things for how we're going to work Sunday school and some other stuff like that, okay? There are some events coming up um, which you can participate in and socially distance. So Fellowship Committee uh, has got an event uh, coming up. Um, I think, did the men's event, did I, did I miss that? Was that while we were on vacation or is that coming up next week? The outdoor, oh, that got canceled. See what happens when you go on vacation? You don't hear about any of these things. So let's just go to Bible study. This is something I know about. Okay, so we are studying uh, uh, Reverend Professor Kurt Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People. And we are literally at the very end of the book. This is kind of exciting. Uh, and as I uh, shared with some of you, if you have any suggestions for what you would like to study next, uh, obviously we as pastors will make that final call, but we'd love to hear from you. So if you've got some suggestions on what you think we should study next, um, email us or text us and let us know and we'll take that under consideration. Let's dive in, shall we? The Lord be with you. O God, so rule and govern our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit that ever mindful of your final judgment, we may be stirred up to holiness of living here and dwell with you in perfect joy hereafter. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, so we are on. Many then were done with a Christianity. This is on page 172 if you're following along uh, there in your book. If you have the Kindle edition, just search for it. Many then were done with a Christianity which they thought had failed. Others were moved by the same events in an opposite direction. They came to see that what had been smashed was only a sentimental veneer that had, that had falsely represented itself as the real thing. Okay? So we're talking here um, about apologetics. We're talking about defending the Christian faith. Uh, we're, uh, we, we touched on just briefly Nietzsche, uh, and some others who maintained throughout the uh, 20th century that, that God is dead, that there is no God, there's no proof for him, there's no existence for him. Um, and um, I know one of the things my wife and I marveled at this last week, we walked, walked the beach every morning, she ran, um, and then she walked with me, and, uh, and we went out on the ocean, we caught some sharks, we paddleboarded, we kayaked, um, uh, it was just amazing how everything works together. Um, and for me, even from a scientific perspective, to say that all this just happened by chance, um, that the way the gravity works with the moon and the tides come in and go out, and that all this was just happen happenstance, um, is, is ridiculous. Um, I mean, the, the, the odds of, of just how everything works together and, and even in the ocean, when you look at how the food chain works, right, um, it's just amazing. Um, and so, you know, with people that are kind of struggling with the, you know, the existence of God, 
Um, and, you know, does science trump religion or does religion trump science? Um, you know, we use the faculties, the logic and reasoning that God has given us, uh, but, but ultimately, you know, as, as Pastor Grady said this morning, you know, the earth didn't create itself. It didn't create the roads and the condos and all these other things. Uh, God used people to do that. Uh, I don't want to steal your sermon material. It was just so good. Uh, it really was. Um, you know, there, there is so much more than even just a designer there is a God who has created and continues to preserve and care for everything. And the devil, the world, and our sinful nature is always going to attack, especially that point. Uh, and that's where we talk about the first commandment. That's where idols come in, of believing that you are in charge by your reason or faculties, uh, or that some, some drug or some other man-made thing is going to save you and provide for you. God may well use those things, but ultimately everything has been under his purvey uh, from the very beginning. Okay. All right, uh, next sentence. Um, they came to see that what had been smashed was only a sentimental veneer that had falsely represented itself as the real thing. D.R. Davies, for instance, left us a moving account of this sort of pilgrimage. He showed how the events of our century shattered his optimistic enlightenment faith in the innate goodness of man and drove him back to a sober Christian realism about sin and grace, divine judgment and mercy. Right, so part of the whole concept of of, of not only um, socialism, and I don't want to get too far off track here, is the belief that there is good within you that can be tapped into, and thus, if we arrive at some sort of equality, then now the the power of humanity can rise up and and tackle all that, and of course, that's flawed at its at its very base level. Okay. Man, according to Scripture, according to God, is sinful by nature and unclean, as we confess in our most common uh, general confession of sins. Okay? Sinful by nature. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no goodness within you or me in and of ourselves. Okay? And that goes back, if you, if you go through and read a little bit of the Old Testament reading, um, pay attention always to where God uses mandate talk. So God speaks and mandates something in our Old Testament for today. And does anybody remember what it is? What did he mandate? What should Adam and Eve not do? Early service people. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you shall not eat. It's mandate talk. Okay? You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do, what will happen? What did God say? You will die. Okay. Now, what did Adam and Eve do? <laughs> and they both did it, mind you. Don't be that type of man that says, oh, it's, it's, it's always the woman's fault. Right? Uh, don't fall into that trap. They both ate. Okay. Uh, both were deceived. Uh, and then sin entered the world. Death entered the world. Okay. Which meant now that there was, there was death. There was also separation now from God. Okay. So thus, thus God, who's... who's walking in his <clears throat> godness in a way we can't understand in the garden, in the cool of the evening, says uh, Luther, one of Luther's favorite phrases, Vobisdu, where are you? And what were they doing? Hiding. Why were they hiding? Because they were naked. They were ashamed. Okay? Uh, sin so affected their relationship that there was now separation uh, from God. Now, what did God do in his mercy? He clothed them. Some uh, ancient scholars and church fathers would say that the first blood that was shed was actually uh, animal skins that God clothed them with. There's some interesting uh, discussion on that. Okay, I don't want to get too far off topic with it because Scripture doesn't go into a lot of detail. Uh, but there, there's a, a substitutionary sacrifice that takes place uh, to cover over Adam and Eve. Ultimately, of course, that points forward to the sacrifice of Jesus who clothes you with his righteousness in the waters of holy baptism, right? So all these events we have in the Old Testament now are pointing forward okay, to Christ uh, who is to come, okay? Uh, so there's this, this separation. So because of that, there, there is no true innate goodness of man. And not only that, 
when you read, um, you know, whether it's uh, Old Testament uh, books such as Daniel, uh, you listen to Lamentations of Jeremiah, but especially when you get into like Revelation in the New Testament, um, we are told quite simply that prior to the return of Christ, things will get worse, meaning people will fall away from the faith, okay? Uh, God will yet preserve a remnant, as he did in the past, but there will be more and more people who will fall away from the faith, and the church is going to do what? Get larger or smaller? Get smaller. Take that, you church growthers. So everybody that's always worried about the church has got to get big and all that, leave that to God. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go in cycles. His word is always going to do its work. Uh, but ultimately, uh, as we approach the return of Christ, and no man knows the day or the hour, um, the church will continue to do what? To shrink. Okay? Um, and so that's why you'll hear us as pastors talking about the importance of your confession of faith. Right? In the words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What, what, what do I believe? What, 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 what is the ground that I'm going to stand on? Okay? And, then, and even though you know, heaven and earth pass away, the, the word of God, his promises to me, will never pass away. So we have a great assurance that even though uh, things, you know, uh, as we see, and again, we don't know when Christ's return is going to be, right? You know, I, I remember talking just a little bit, you know, to my, my, my grandfather who was part of the, the greatest generation, right? He survived three beach landings, um, all in the, the Pacific uh, uh, Aleutian I- Islands, uh, Okinawa, or Iwo Jima, and then Okinawa. Uh, survived three beach landings and, um, you know, was just a, a hard worker. Uh, didn't actually own all of his own farmland until he was like 55 years of age. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I always looked at my grandpa as kind of the epitome of the American dream, right? Hard worker, not afraid of anything. He had hands, you know. I mean, of course, I was a little kid, but... <laughs> They were huge, and this guy could, I mean, he could, he could shoot a, a pheasant, a quail. We would say he could pick wings off a gnat. Uh, he was a very good bowler. He played softball. He was a great fisherman. My grandpa was perfect. How about yours? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so you kind of, you kind of, you run into that, and oh, okay, you know, now I've got to kind of, you know, create that for myself, and, and we would always love to go visit the farm, and it was just kind of this idyllic you know, situation of everything was just peaceful, you know. And then as I got older, I found out that, you know, man, it's really not that peaceful. Grandma and Grandpa really didn't get along that well all the time. And not only that, you know, and, and they, they, they uh, hardly ever slept in the same bedroom. Part of that was because my Grandpa still struggled with a lot of PTSD from World War II. I mean, three beach landings, I would imagine you would. And we never understood that. We just, Grandpa liked to be in his recliner, <laughs> you know. Uh, and there was also a, uh, a bottle in the fridge in a brown paper bag. I never knew what it was. Uh, it was the first thing Grandpa ga- grabbed in the morning. Last thing he grabbed at night. Um, I never remember him being like fall down drunk, but he drank constantly. You know? So there's little things that you kind of learn and, and you pick up on it. And, and maybe the, the life that we think is so perfect in this life really isn't that perfect at all. So we have to be very careful when we talk about kind of our hopes and dreams for this life. And we have to temper that with reality, but a Christian now always looks at that, you know, through the lens of Scripture, right? Well, what, what has God promised uh, to do for me? What is He still doing for me? How important is that to me? Okay? Uh, which, which is why you need God's Word, you need church, okay? Um, and <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm going too far here, Mr. Head Elder and Mr. President, but I don't ever want to close the doors of this church again. I don't. Why? Why? Why would I? Why would I say something so ostentatious? You might say that's absolutely ridiculous, Pastor. Because I believe that in word and in sacrament there is an otherworldly, sacramental, supernatural power, um, and 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 God comes to visit His people, and and we need that so badly, you know, in in this life. Um, now, let's, let's not go down crazy rabbit holes with all that, but the question is, you know, it's kind of like the whole story with Mary and Martha, and Jesus is there with them, right? And, and, you know, Martha, 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 
right? Or Marsha, 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 if you like the Brady Bunch, right? Uh, okay. Uh, what's, <laughs> what's, what's Martha doing? She's busy. She's got work to do, man. She's putting out the little chicken fingers for Jesus and, you know, and the little vanilla wafer crackers and, and she's getting the food ready and all that stuff. And what's Mary doing? What's Mary doing? just listening. She's just taking it all in. She's just receiving the word of God, right? And Martha chastised her. Come on, there's work to do. And what does Jesus say? Leave her alone. One thing's needful. One thing's needful. Lord, this treasure, right? So, you know, true pleasure, uh, true hope, true joy, true comfort is never going to come from anything in this world. And so when you, when, you, when you seek that here in this world or you seek peace or you seek, you know, the good of humanity, of people rising up uh, and accomplishing great things together, um, that's always going to let you down in some way, shape, or form. Okay? Comments? Yes, sir. What, I, I just said a lot of things. Which what what did I say? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Okay, so D.R. Davis showed how the events of our century shattered his optimistic enlightenment faith in the innate goodness of man, which doesn't really exist. Man, there is no innate goodness in man. Okay. Drove him back to a sober Christian realism about sin and grace. And that's why the old Adam in, in someone has to die. You can't reform the sinner. The old Adam's got to be put to death. And the new man has to arise. And that's all, by the, that's all by God's power. That's all by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why to the Holy Spirit we ascribe the work of sanctification. Okay? Uh, which is literally holifying you. Making you holy. You don't do that on your own. The Holy Spirit comes and, and does that now um, and, and, and does that through the means that he has provided for that. Okay? Um, evil turned out not to be some feature of the social system, but a deep-seated cancer inoperably lodged in the very vitals of human nature. And so if you get into discussions when you, when you talk about uh, you know, the goodness of man and we need to do this, we need to do that, be aware when you're discussing, arguing with someone of where they're coming from. Because <laughs> I would submit to you one of the most foundational things to establish if you're going to have any type of fruitful discussion is, is whether that person or whether you believe in original sin. Complete and utter, you know, total depravity, okay, but also original, okay, that it's inherently, you know, part of you and it will be with you. It, it's going to stick to you until the day you die, okay? Oh, I was going to tell you, I was so excited. We were driving out to Hilton Head, and then we drove back yesterday, and, you know, 12-hour drive back. I kept seeing all the way through, th through South Carolina these billboards, right? Um, and and, and the, the, the billboard, uh, oh, how did I forget it? It said something like, um, um, I, what was it? I am sorry, no, Jesus... Jesus, save me from my sins, or Jesus, forgive me. And then the last line, I know the last line, save my soul, right? So basically the, 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 the crux of the billboard was Jesus, save my soul. And I kept seeing this billboard every few miles, this billboard, but the same billboard, right? And save my soul, okay. But I'm not just a soul. Are you just a soul? Are you just a soul? You also have a body. So don't pray to Jesus just to save your soul. What should you also pray Jesus to save? Your body. Okay? Which is why it was, it was drummed into my head at seminary, and even still today, um, you know, if there is no resurrection, if there is no bodily resurrection of Jesus, and if there's no hope of a bodily resurrection for you, then there's no hope at all. And so we fall into this kind of, well, you know, save my soul, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And it's like, 
what's Jesus going to do when he returns? One, the resurrection of all flesh, right? Uh, Handel's Messiah gets that so well. It just emphasizes so well. The resurrection of all flesh, okay? Um, and not only the resurrection of all flesh, what is Jesus going to do with the whole heavens and earth that are tainted with sin completely and utterly? What's he going to do? He's going to make all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. And so part of our hope uh, is, is not just the, 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 the saving of our souls or our spirit or who we are, but it's literally the resurrection of our flesh, right? And all of us bear, we've, we've got different ailments no matter the age, different things that are part of our bodies. And, and one day this body, this vessel that we live in, um, you know, this, this jar of clay will be a broken, shattered pot. What will Jesus do? He will raise it, resurrect it brand new. So our hope must also be not just in the salvation of our souls, but also in the resurrection of our bodies and a new heaven and new earth yet to come. Okay? I'd like to see what the mountains are like then. What's the beach going to be like? I assume it won't be where I'm finding sand in all sorts of places. Right? If you've been to the beach, you know what I'm talking about. You get sand everywhere. Right? I've probably still got sand in my ear and my belly button and between my toes. It just doesn't go away. Uh, let's move on. Questions, comments? Um, that, of course, is what Christianity had said until the 18th century Enlightenment came along with its flattering fables about a human race come of age, right? So every generation has also done this. You know, we're smarter than those who have come before us. Um, I, I remember, you know, being a, a young man in early adulthood, and, and uh, you know, my parents were idiots. No, that's what I thought. I've learned so much more than my parents ever did. And grandparents, boy, my generation's going to make a difference, you know. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I went back and reread my uh, salutatorian speech, uh, you know, and uh, oh my goodness, I was so naive. You know, we all had these great grand plans, and of course, every generation thinks they're going to be the generations that's going to save the world in some way, shape, or form. Um, and so I'm not convinced of that anymore. I think there are a lot of, a lot smarter people who have come before and hopefully will come after, right? And then Ken Ham makes this point, if you ever take a trip down to the Ark, that'd be a good little day trip if you're looking for a little staycation that's not too far away. Go down to Noah's Ark or the Creation Museum, and, and one of his premises is that, um, you know, with Noah and his family, there was a, a wealth of knowledge and amazing abilities that, you know, basically were lost because of the flood, um, engineering and otherwise. And he makes some, some very good arguments uh, for that. All right, let's move on. The fact of God... The fact of God and the fact of evil stand out as two quite different issues. Mixing them up can prove very misleading. God exists as a truth of philosophy or common sense is not the same thing at all as a Christian conviction that, quote, God loves us. Actual cruelty in the world falsifies neither of these propositions, but for different reasons. That some sort of God exists is, as we have seen, a highly probable inference from the nature of the world in general and of bioinformation in particular. The odds against randomness and therefore in favor of a creative intelligent or some sort of God are simply overwhelming. To reject this conclusion just because one does not like the sight of a nature red in tooth and claw is to abandon reason for emotion. The disturbing reality of evil cannot logically undo the reasonable conclusion that an information-rich nature must have been programmed by a superior intelligence. Yet Christians do not hold that, quote, God loves us because of statistics, including numbers comparing the relative incidence of good or ill fortune in an average population. Nor is the conviction that, quote, God loves us at all a mushy optimism about life in general. Rather, this belief rests squarely on specific words and promises anchored in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? So our faith, uh, where did that last sentence go? Go back to it. Our faith rests squarely on specific words and promises. So when you hear me use the word mandate, okay, um, mandatum would be as in the words of our Lord for Holy Communion you know, for baptism, and anywhere else that God speaks as well, okay? So when God speaks or mandates, then you need to pay attention to that, okay? Uh, in the same way that uh, school teachers are required to teach from what, usually? 
a textbook, correct? Sometimes you get to write your own stuff, which can be a lot of work, but that might be good when the textbooks are bad. But your job is to teach the curriculum that the school or the state has adopted. Okay? What do lawyers study? What do they study? Law books, decisions, mandates of what the courts have decided, what is the law of the land, okay? And if you've ever gone through training for any type of work, I remember my, my, my brother and I grew up in the family business, right? So we kind of were apprenticed at a very young age. Uh, but both of us, we were in high school, wanted to just have a different job at the same time, just to not have to deal with mom and dad, right, and the rest of the family. And so I worked at a skating rink. Uh, I started off, uh, you know, cleaning roller skates. And if you've ever been to a roller rink before, or if you remember what they're like, roller skates are really nasty, right? I mean, that guy that does all the uh, dirtiest jobs in America thing, he should do one on a roller rink, okay? Because part of our job, I was a skate boy, and so I had to clean the wheels and the insides, and these were the old leather, I don't even know what they haven't been to a skating rink in decades. The old leather boots and all, they were smelly. But you had to get your hand in there and clean them and spray them. You had to scrape off, you know, the wheels and oil them. They had to be clean. And not only that, our job was also to go into the bathrooms. Now, do you think little boys sit down like girls do? You know what a bathroom's like at a roller rink? I don't even need to paint the picture for you, do you? I mean, nasty, right? Uh, cleaning up just everything. And, of course, the skates roll through everything. And you got to clean. All right, now you're like, oh, thanks, Pastor. You just ruined my lunch for the rest of the day, right? Um, and so <laughs> this, this, is, this is, 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 is who we are, again, back to the original sin, um, but, and what was my point in telling you that story? Where was it at? What? Well, yeah, oh, mandate, yeah. So, the owner of the skating rink, uh, Berwin was his name, he had a whole list of things we had to do. And so, there, there was all this training that we had to go through to make sure things were clean and orderly and the customers were happy. My brother went and worked at McDonald's, and they had even more order. There was an order to everything. That's why McDonald's has been so successful. Okay? So there's an order to how things are supposed to be done. So as a Christian, one of the other questions you should ask yourself is, how has God ordered my faith or even church itself? Is there any order to it? Some would teach you there's no order at all, right? You could be like many charismatics and Pentecostals, and it's just a free-for-all. Whatever happens, happens. Okay? Uh, thus, we have liturgy, liturgia. We have actual order, um, and so on and so forth. That's enough. I'll move on. My wife is going to throw something at me. Too many stories, she says. Okay. Can such a belief be falsified? In principle, yes. The Christian content of God loves us, stands or falls with the integrity of the New Testament portrait of Jesus as God incarnate, right? So we always come back to the incarnation, God in the flesh made manifest, right? So Jesus now takes on um, our human flesh, absorbs into himself all of our sin, okay? He who knows no sin becomes sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know that verse well, I hope, okay? Uh, So Jesus is, 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 is like a gigantic SpongeBob SquarePants. He absorbs all the sin there upon the cross, and he squeezes then out of himself all of his holy precious blood, which redeems us. That sacrifice, his blood now pays the price, okay? Uh, That is the holy, perfect blood uh, which is required and which he freely offers. So, uh, can such a belief be falsified in principle? Yes. Or did I, would I miss one again? No, there's a conviction God loves us. Okay. Such a belief be falsified in principle? Yes. The Christian content of God loves us stands or falls with the integrity of the New Testament portrait of Jesus as God incarnate. Got it. Disprove that, and God loves us becomes a chimera. If the New Testament picture of God is true, though, then it is also true that he loves us. All the world's ghastliness can only highlight this fact. Now, Luther's famous Heidelberg Disputation of 1518, who's read the Heidelberg Disputation? Okay, it's worth looking up. It's actually on, uh, I'm pretty sure it's on www.bookofconcord.org. I think it's on that site. Somebody can look that up real quick. 
Um, and Luther uh, talks there about uh, what it means to be a theologian of the cross and what it means to be a theologian of glory. Okay, um, and uh, and this is this is early Luther, uh, but very well done. He writes that there that a person who merely makes inferences about God from nature does not deserve to be called a theologian. Okay, so we might see God, you know, evidence of God in nature. But do we look for God in nature? Right? So you are in the mountains, Pastor Grady and family, okay? And, and all the, the, the heavens, you know, testify to the presence of God. But did you go to the mountains specifically to be closer to God? <laughs> that makes me think of a song I want to sing, but I'm not going to sing it. Um, yeah. So you, you want to be close to God. The closest you can get to God is, is where he promises to be. So he doesn't promise to be there in nature for you. While nature testifies to existence, he promises, and this gets back to mandate talk, in his word and in his sacraments. So same argument for someone who says, well, I don't need to go to church. I have my faith. I can sit at home in my recliner. I have God here. And how do you deal with that argument? God bless you, Pastor Elman. You dealt with that for many more decades than I have. How do you answer that argument? Does God promise to come to you in your recliner and give you forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation? No. He promises to come through word and sacrament. Now, if you're, you're an invalid and you can't come to church, can your pastor come and bring you the word and sacrament? Sure. Can you read your Bible there in the recliner? Yes. But Jesus also says, don't give up gathering together. Okay? Um, and so you have all this, again, mandate talk uh, that gets totally lost in favor of this generic, God is everywhere, you know, God loves us, I don't need any type of order, you know, that sort of thing, okay? Um, so-called natural theology is not theology at all, however, but philosophy. Luther was very far from denying either the validity, Romans 1.20, or the social and cultural value of a natural or philosophical knowledge about God. And let's look up those two passages real quick. Let's look at Romans 1 verse 20, and then let's look at Romans 2.14 to 15. Okay, Romans 1 verse 20. Let's read it together. You ready? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Keep going. This, 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 is, this is interesting here. 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Leave that up there for a second, okay? So, creation testifies to a God, right? But what does sinful man do? What does the sinner in you do? Huh? It's all about me, right? Rejects it. Uh, let's, let's go on. Their foolish hearts were darkened. 22, keep going. Here we go. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They made idols unto themselves. Okay? And that's still true today okay? for us as sinners. And that's always a very good question. What, what are the idols in my life? What are the things that I wake up thinking about or go to bed thinking about more often than not. And if it's not God <laughs> and his word and sacraments, okay, then you're a sinner. <laughs> you are. And you have idols. And there's, again, nothing wrong with having stuff. And, of course, we want to be good stewards of God's creation. But when those things become... All, all we are and occupy all that, we end up making these things into idols. Okay, go to the next passage, Romans 2, 14 to 15. Here we go. Let's read. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires... 
They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Now, what does he mean, first of all, but they do not have the law? What do they not have? This is the Bible. They don't have Scripture, okay? So they don't have the, the words now in their hands or being preached and being read to them, okay? Uh, verse 15, is that where we're at? Yep. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Let's stop there. So now what, what we're being told is that God has written um, not the entirety of the law, but there is law that is part of who we are, that we are created with. Okay? Uh, we would loosely use the term conscience in this regard. Okay? Um, and so you've heard people say, let your conscience be your guide, right? Uh, well, unfortunately, that also falls into what trap? <laughs> if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. If it feels right, go ahead and do it, right? So then the question is, well, what is it? Is that my conscience or what is that? Because by nature, I'm a sinner and I'm going to want to serve myself and even my base, you know, desires or feelings. And so we can't trust that, uh, but, but, but that is there. Okay, their conscience bears witness, their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. All right, scroll on down, 16. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So God the Father is going to judge each of us, does judge each of us, knows everything that we think, everything that we keep from everybody else, all of everything that, you know, is our, who we are, okay? And, and we're going to be judged... By who? Christ Jesus, right? And Christ Jesus, of course, is the Word. So when people say, you know, don't judge me uh, because you're, you're concerned about them um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're committing a particular sin in some way, you know, and don't you judge me. And you, you speak God's Word to them, why? Why do you do that? Why? Why should you ever show your brother or your sister their sin? Because you love them. You care for them, right? Um, so, you know, thus, when I've taught some classes, you know, on parenting, we always have to have this discussion. Parents are, are not supposed to be their kids' friends. They're not. What's their job as parents? To raise them, to train up, a child in the way that they should go so they won't depart from it. Now, does that mean that your children, I mean, is, your children could end up being your friends, and that's okay down the road once they get older. But as parents, your job up until that point that they're ready to leave the household, a parent's job is to train them and to discipline, which means you're going to be pointing out their sin. Okay? Um, now, Jesus ultimately is the judge. His word is the judge. So, so we get this, you know, thrown at us all the time as Christians regarding homosexuality, abortion, you know, you name it, you know, don't, don't judge other people. Well, who's ultimately the judge? Jesus. What does he say in his word? Okay. And, and our concern is not to ruin someone's reputation, not to make their life a living hell. It's that they would recognize their sin, turn from it, find forgiveness, um, <laughs> And, 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 and not fall away from the faith, right? So it's out of love that we do everything. It's, it's, out, it's out of love, okay? Now, of course, that's going to get, you know, misunderstood, okay? Uh, questions or comments? So Paul here, uh, you know, we're talking about the, the natural philosophical knowledge of God versus the knowledge of God given to us through his word, through his law, back to that mandate talk. Only when this philosophy, back to Marquardt, pretends to be theology does trouble begin. For it then makes of itself more than it can possibly be. Such philosophy slash theology, in which medieval scholastics took some pride, having thought itself very clever to have sniffled out God's tracks in nature, goes on to imagine its divine prey available on reasonable human terms. So we've had you know, this ongoing discussion, debate, argument, um, you know, on both sides of my family, my wife's and mine, um, on certain issues, okay? God is love. Because God is love, uh, therefore, we're supposed to love everybody and not point out their sin. And, you know, God, 
you know, whatever you decide to do or however you decide to be, whether it's, you name it, homosexual or otherwise, you know, God is simply love. And of course, what's, what's the real issue with that? What is it pitting against itself? The fact that God is love versus what? What God in his law says. Does that make sense? So, when God speaks on topics, then we say conservation. We say proclamation. We say confession of faith. And the goal then is always repentance and absolution. Okay? Um, this con- conceit confuses a modest inference of some sort of God with a personal knowledge of him. That is like presuming an intimate acquaintance with someone on the basis of a few footprints seen on the beach. None of this will do, of course. A real knowledge of God comes not from philosophical detective work, however brilliant, but only from God's own self-disclosure. He is to be found only where he chooses to make himself available. Read that with me one more time. He is to be found only where he chooses to make himself available. Okay, Not where we may find it sensible or convenient to locate him. So who then is a real theologian? Luther replies, only he, quote, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through suffering and the cross. Let me let that sink in just a little bit. He is a real theologian who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through suffering and the cross. And the allusion here is to Exodus 33:23, where Moses is allowed to see the back of God, right? We meet God not in haughty flights of fancy or feats of intelligence, but under the humble, (laughs) and probably kind of fitting now with our current pandemic situation, (laughs) humble masks in which he gives himself. The baby in Bethlehem, the man on the cross, baptismal water, life-giving words, consecrated bread and wine. This is Luther's great theology of the cross. Its opposite is an arrogant theology of glory, which thinks it has trapped and domesticated God, but is really only talking to itself. I talked to somebody not long ago that uh, was uh, part of the uh, ALC, the American Lutheran Church, which along with uh, several others formed uh, what was at the time the largest Lutheran church body in America, which still exists, although it's shrinking fast, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, and they were talking about the excitement of when that formed back, and that was 1988, I think, was when it officially formed, 87, 88. And, uh, uh, and they said, you know, there was just such grand excitement, right? Um, and, and this made me think of it the other day because we were driving up from Indiana, and my wife said, did you know John Cougar Mellencamp was Lutheran? And he's from Indiana. I said, yeah, I did. He's also ELCA and a little liberal, but that's a different discussion, you know. And then that got me thinking a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the wider. And this discussion I had with somebody else who said, you know, wow. You know, I mean, we were so excited when the ELCA was formed. You know, we could have this large church and we could do all these amazing things. You know, we failed to see, you know, those who were really driving the boat. And he goes, to be fair, the church that I once belonged to, which I always considered a fairly conservative church, that's what he said, the ALC. It's been, it's been dead for decades. It's been dead. And, uh, you know, and uh, so. And that person is in the process of, of becoming a Missouri Synod Lutheran. I told him, don't get so caught up on denomination. <laughs> know what you confess. Know what you believe. Above all, know where God promises to be, right? In his word and in his sacraments, Okay. I mean, I would love for the Missouri Synod to continue decades down the road and centuries should Jesus tarry. But is that where my faith is going to be? No. My faith is going to be on confession of God's word and his truth. And I pray the Missouri Synod continues to confess and practice that. And as long as it does, I'll be a pastor in the Missouri Synod. Uh, your pastor, uh, should the Lord uh, continue to provide. Um, but uh, it's, about, it's about then what is believed and practiced, which is all based on God's word under the authority of Christ. Okay, All right, let's finish this sentence here, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. So this is Luther's great theology of the cross. Its opposite is an arrogant theology of glory, which thinks it has trapped and domesticated God, but is really only talking to itself. Okay, So um, 
the, the other part of that discussion that I'll close with with this gentleman that I've been working with was we talked about how so many of American Christian denominations, how much they've changed just in the last 30 years. Um, and, and, I, and I've met a lot of people, and we've, we've got people here that have, have, have come from uh, Episcopal, Anglican, uh, Presbyterian, you know, uh, Roman Catholic uh, that have, have, have joined our shared uh, Lutheran confession here at Advent for this very reason. Uh, because the, the, the churches, which uh, would always say in the past were built on God's Word, are no longer built on God's Word. Uh, and now God's Word has changed, Right. So yeah, we're aware God's word says God's word says this, that, or that, but God didn't really mean that, right? Uh, or God has changed, which is exactly what the Mormon Church, uh, uh, Islam has done that as well. You, know, you, you don't change God's word, so just to fit what you want. Okay, I think enough Marquardt and enough of your crazy pastor today. Questions or comments? You have, uh, you have all that you need. You have the righteousness of Christ in your baptism, and you have his word. Uh, study it. Cherish it. Okay, uh, Let that word be a, a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And, uh, yep, there, there will be suffering. There will be, uh, there will be challenges. And I think, uh, I think there are more difficult days ahead for us as Christians and for the church. Um, but uh, the Lord will, Lord will provide for that. Okay? You're good. Smile. Okay? Through Jesus Christ, your Father in heaven loves you very much. Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.